0: Passion for God, part four. Okay, so we, we didn't think it was going to go this long, but let's go to the text Ephesians six, uh, twelve to thirteen. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, uh, today. Thank you for gathering us together, Lord. uh, uh, What an incredible privilege, God, to have Skilled musicians and singers, Lord, leading us, Lord, to be together as a body, as a family, Lord. We don't take it for granted, God. We know there's brothers and sisters all over the world, God, uh, that are uh, that are challenged, God, even to sing uh, publicly. God, there will be uh, uh, much uh, uh, punishment, God, uh, if they do that, Lord. And we have the privilege of doing this every week, God. Lord, help us never to take it for granted, Lord. And help us to enjoy, Lord God, uh, what you're doing in the midst of us, Lord. So come, speak to us, God. Come and teach us, Lord. Grow us, God, in this place. Lord, to that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us individually and corporately. body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach a prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just to convey your words, God, but convey your heart. And we thank you. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There is a, a spiritual element um, to our faith, but even to the world around us. Here's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, there's a, a, a French philosopher, Tila Chardin, he said this. He says, we are not human beings having a temporary spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. It's amazing in this world that we live in that how much of the spiritual is rationalized away, or how much of the spiritual is just actually totally, completely negated uh, from from our lives. We are spiritual beings, and we live in the midst of a spiritual realm. I mean, share this story, and, and I made sure I picked a story that wasn't t- so fantastic, but, but as spiritual beings, we have a Holy Spirit that wants to speak to us, and wants to, uh, to uh, lead us, and, and, and wants and, and, and in our work life, in our home life, in every part of our lives, where the Spirit of God wants to really take charge over. So I found this story, it's in a, in a devotional uh, 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 website, and it was a story, I, I think this happened in, uh, uh, well, it happened in Nigeria. And this uh, friend tells this story about uh, 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 another friend of his, and he was a lawyer, and he was preparing a, a very important case. Um, he knew that he had to basically argue five separate but very crucial points uh, in this case. And he was, appear- he was uh, meant to appear in this country's Supreme Court so in Nigeria, And so, um, as he neared the time in which he was preparing to go to court, he began to pray about how he was to argue the case. He spent much time in in legal preparation and, and intercessory prayer. And as he was going to the court, as he was walking to the courthouse, the Holy Spirit spoke to him right there in that moment. And basically, the Holy Spirit basically said, don't argue point one, point two, point three, or point four. Only argue point five. Um, when he heard this, he just started struggling. His, his faith was getting rocked during this time. If he would read, if he was reading this wrong, if he heard incorrectly from the Lord, you know, from the Spirit of God that was leading him, um, he would be. Uh, uh, he would there'll be shame put upon him and, and there would be huge professional fallout for him uh the time came for him to go before the judge uh and uh what did he do he told the judge and he says judge i with i wish to withdraw points one through four and i wish to argue only point five um the opposing counsel stood up and objected and he said your honor he cannot do that. And uh, uh, the judge said, objection overruled, right? You can't, you can't do that. And so um, he, he went up, proceeded to present the case, and he only shared 0.5 uh, during this time. Well, he finished, and uh, the defense, the other counsel, came up, and he stood speechless for 12 minutes. He had nothing to say. He finally mumbled uh, a few things afterwards, and then he complained to the judge, and he said that he would have to yield this case. It seemed that the opposing counsel had prepared to argue only points one through four, failed to prepare for point five, and as a result, the judge ruled in favor of his friend. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us. The Holy Spirit wants to guide us in our life. It kind of reminds me, I have, a, I have a personal story. When I was in seminary, um, uh, my seminary was in Pasadena, California. I, I live an hour away, so I'm very unfamiliar with this city. And so when I, when I was in school, someone had actually uh, paid for uh, one semester of my education, and then gave me a little extra money uh, to buy a computer. Remember, this is 30 years ago, and so, like, a laptop was a huge luxury to have. And so, uh, but, but this, this uh, man had given me enough money to, to get a computer, and I was in between class, about an hour in between class, and I thought, you know what? Uh, um, I just was sitting in the library and I was just kind of getting ready for my next class, reading through some notes and doing some things. And I just felt the Holy Spirit tug in my heart and say, Go buy a computer. And I'm just like, this hour, I don't have enough time. I don't know this city. I don't know where to go. Uh, this is just crazy. And so, but then as I just kept trying to just, uh, uh, you know, not listen to the Lord, I just was very strong go get a computer. And so I, I got up, packed up my, my you know, books, put in my backpack. I started walking out, and I didn't know where to go. This is a very unfamiliar city to me, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit leading me. You know, I went down some streets I've never been before, and then about two blocks away from the seminary, there was this computer store. And so uh, I, I walked in and, you know, they had laptops in, in the front window. So I walked in. I said hello to the guy that was working there. It was, it was one of those like one, one man shops. And the guy uh, actually became a friend of mine. His name is Jim. Uh, he, we found out that he actually was also a seminarian. He did his MDiv there, and he was working on his Ph.D., and in the middle of his Ph.D., he decided to start this computer store, basically to pay for his exorbitant seminary costs. And so, But now this turned into a huge business. He was doing really well. I mean, you know, side note, he gave me a really good deal on a computer, right? Praise God. But, but more than that, as we started talking with each other, um, I found because he, you know, I told him I'm actually studying missiology. Or I'm in the School of World Mission, and he was also in the School of World Mission, and so and, and, this, and he had a huge, huge heart for missions. I told him that my parents were missionaries. You know, they were Southern Baptist missionaries, and so he was like so intrigued. Long story short, he ends up being a huge supporter to my parents when my parents uh, at the church in Tashkent in Uzbekistan. Uh, they, they wanted to do something for, for the kids in the church, and so they, they wanted to set up a computer lab, wh- which, you know, back then was a huge luxury to have. And so Jim sent 30-some computers uh, to Uzbekistan, uh, uh, I mean, the, finance, the whole thing, computers, printers, I mean, the whole deal. In fact, I remember uh, going to him to the office depot. Uh, to buy printers, right, and so uh, and so we would. You know, and he shipped it all to Uzbekistan, and my parents, you know, started this computer learning center there. You know, the crazy thing is when he was shipping uh, um, the uh, computers to Uzbekistan, he was he was kind of very uh, uh, wondering about the cost because he's thinking it'd be so expensive. Well, uh, my parents. Uh, knew the owners of this cargo company were also very devout Christians that wanted to, you know, serve God and do missions through their business. And so uh, they gave my parents a very favorable rate. My mom was able to connect Jim with with this cargo company, and Jim was looking for a new company because his, his business was blowing up. He was sending computers all over the world. The cargo company was actually almost dead, going out of business just about. And because of Jim, he was, he was able to, because he had so many orders, and the business kind of blew up as well. And so, I mean, so many good things happened through that, all because, you know, one little seminarian sitting in the library heard the nudging of the Holy Spirit and decided to inconvenience myself and go out and just go and buy a computer, We got to understand, we we know God is supernatural and all these things, but God is also extremely practical. Let let, let me me give you something, uh, just as an aside. This is not in the notes or anything. I hope you always remember this. Brothers and sisters, don't ever forget there's always other people on the end of your obedience. Hmm? There's always other people. On the end of obedience, there is always great blessing on the other end of your obedience. It could be such a simple thing as argue point five. It could be such a simple thing as go, buy, go outside and go buy a computer. I mean, it's so simple. And the way that God moves and the way that God orchestrates and, 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 and the way that God does things, it brings great blessing. I mean, from that one decision that I made, it impacted so many people. It impacted a whole church in, in Tashkent. It impacted you know, a bunch of families that owned this cargo business. You know, and, and it impacted Jim's business because, I mean, just, God was just moving. And he got you know, much better rates uh, for his, um, uh, for, uh, uh, his uh, uh, deliveries that he was sending out. Uh, and and I mean, on top of that, we we had much we got much much blessing uh, from him. You know, when we moved when we moved to uh, uh, Hong Kong, this is like twenty years ago, and my wife and I we came. I think we came with about ten boxes. I mean, kind of small boxes. It was kind of uh, all that we owned during the time. You know, the cargo company charges fifty dollars, fifty U.S. dollars, to send ten boxes here uh, to Hong Kong through all this. And it was just it was just because of these connections that were made. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit wants to speak into your life. There is a whole spiritual realm that's out there. And it's, and it's, and it's not just for spiritual things. It's for your work. It's, it's for your family. right? There, there, there's a whole spiritual realm around us. There's a Holy Spirit that wants to lead you and wants to bring great blessing into your life. Now, with that said... There's also the enemy of your soul. There's an enemy that wants to rob, kill, and destroy. There's an enemy that wants to take those seeds of faith and take that, that, that passion that God has put inside of you, and the enemy wants to snuff it out. That's why we talked about it before in Second 2 Corinthians 2.11. He says, we are not ignorant of his schemes. The enemy also has strategies in place has a game plan to just take you out of the will of God, to take you out of the things of God, and, and, and to bring chaos into your world. First disguised you know, as maybe good things, but eventually turns into chaos. We recognize, and we talked about it, Satan devises strategies to counter the passion of God. And when we talked about a lot of them, during this time. So let me, let me just wrap up this time. I think this is, in the context of the church, in the context of spiritual matters, I think this is probably the most deadly, or the most dangerous of all of his tactics. And it's simply this. It's what we call a religious spirit. A religious spirit. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, good looking, religious spirit. In other words, what is that? It's a demonic power assigned to us in the area of religion. A demonic power assigned to us in the area of religion. So let, let, let's talk about this for a moment. Let me just take a step back and let, let's just talk about evil spirits or demons or whatever you want to call it. And and will just, just do a really quick like kind of Bible study to keep us on track. Um, we know that demons exist, okay? Uh, there is nowhere in the Bible that said that they're no longer existing. And so let's just make it clear from the beginning. But we have a few ideas. Number one, we find out there's actually different kinds. There are different kinds of evil spirits or different kinds of demons. In Matthew seventeen twenty-one, it says, But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so there's a lot of different kinds, and they do a lot of different things. There's a spirit of infirmity. In other words, that you know, causes illness. Uh, there's a spirit of divination. Uh, uh, there's a spirit of confusion. There's a lot of diff- there's all different kinds of evil spirits. Number two, we also know they're not all equally wicked. Right? There, there, there's, there seems to be some kind of malevolent hierarchy. Matthew 12, 45 it says, that then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And so there, there's, there's a level of wickedness uh, amongst these demons. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 that we read before, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's, there's so, so there seems to be this hierarchy of these malevolent beings that are there. And so uh, there's a lot of different kinds, but not all are equally wicked. And their primary objective is deception. They're very deceptive. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, Paul says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so they primarily operate in the area of deception. So that's a little thing on demons and evil spirits and whatnot. So let's go back to this. Now, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as you go through uh, these three Gospels, Almost every time Jesus is out doing ministry, he's confronted by a demon, like like some evil spirit uh, begins to pop up in some person or through a spirit of infirmity or even could be a demonic storm. But clearly the enemy is really out to get Jesus. And we, we see this operating. And so, but interesting enough, when you get to the book of John, there's actually no mention of a demon at all which is really kind of crazy to think about it because no one really understood Jesus' mission more than John did. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, demons are everywhere. In John, there's actually no mention. Well, demons are mentioned one time, and it's when the Pharisees accuse Jesus of having a demon. And so, but, so what does is, what is John do? Did he just disappear? No. The way John does it, he's, exp- he's expressing this truth in a different way. The demoniacs and those things that were present in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, guess what? Has been replaced in the book of John. You know who replaces those demons in John? Scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, lawyers. They become the principal opponents of Jesus. In fact, Jesus says these type of things. In John 8, 44, he turns to these religious leaders this is crazy stuff. He goes, you are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Can you believe that? He turns to thee religious leaders of his day. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. I mean, this is crazy stuff. In Matthew 23, 15, look what he says. This is the woe passage. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Did Jesus just call these leaders the son of hell? Yes, he did. This is is scandal. I mean, this is crazy stuff that's going on here. Paul will pick up this theme because, I mean, no one talked more about spiritual warfare than the Apostle Paul. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.1 in his letter to his spiritual son, he says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Whoa! I mean, this is like the later times. We're talking about now. I mean, if, if Jesus is speaking, he's some of the last days, we're in the last of the last days. And so he tells me, and when this happens, there's going to be deceitful spirits and doctrine, a whole doctrine of demons. In other words, demonically uh, uh, kind of uh, um, inspired doctrine is going to come and hit the church. That's that's pretty wild stuff when, when you see this. In Second Timothy three five, look what he says: They're going to hold on to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. In other words, it's going to look spiritual. It's going to look godly. It's going to look, but it's not. He says, they hold to a form of godliness. Another translation is, they hold to a form of religion, yet deny its power. This is sometimes when the pulpit is given over, and instead of preaching the gospel, we preach humanism. Let me, me, I'll, I'll tell you a crazy story, okay? Again, when I was in seminary, there was an older lady there. I mean, for, number one, usually seminaries are a lot of young people. But there was an older lady there, and she was famous in school. And she wasn't famous because she was like uh, some celebrity, you know, that got converted. She was famous because she used to be one of the leaders of the satanic church. She, uh, this is, I know some of you guys freaked out right now, Sorry. But but she, she was one of the leaders of the Satanic Church, and she was part of a group of people. This is crazy stuff. This is what she, they used to do. So the, the leader of this group would be invited by churches to preach in the church. Can you believe that? But he was a Satanist. And so he would come, and he would, they, he would preach. He wouldn't preach the gospel. He would preach humanism. You know, He would preach all these different cultural things and, and whatnot. And so, if, and so what her job was, she was part of this team, they, uh, when worship was happening in the church, they did not wanna, he, the person did not want to go into the service because the worship was so powerful. Because it, it seemed to kind of diminish his power a bit. And so what they, they had a strategy. What they would do is before he would walk into the sanctuary, she would flank him. And say, Pastor so-and-so, and they would talk in the lobby for like 10, 15, 20, whatever minutes until the worship was over. And as soon as the worship was over, he could walk into the church, come to the pulpit, and preach, right, humanism basically. And so, uh, so that was her job. And then, then, you know, next week they'd be in a different city and, and do, basically do the same exact thing. And so she, was, she would tell this story, and so, but she got radically saved, I mean, it was like like a CIA operation, you know. I mean, there was, some, there was some van, picked her up at a certain time, and she had to be whisked away. I mean, it's just really crazy stuff. And she got radically saved, and now she was in seminary. She was at Fuller. She was studying because she wanted to, you know, have a better knowledge of the Bible. And so, but on the weekends, you know what she did? On the weekends, she went back to those churches that basically were cursed. They were invited by their pastor. I mean, can you imagine? They invited a Satanist to the church to preach, and, and they would curse the pulpit, right, uh, during that time. And so she would go back to those churches, and she would ask for forgiveness. Uh, she would do intercessory prayer, and, and she would basically just cancel that curse in the name of Jesus. I mean, that's, that's, that's why she was famous. Everyone wanted to have lunch with her, you know, uh, uh, during those times. And she had the craziest stories. But, but that's, that's they, they hold to a form of godliness, but deny its power. In other words, it's not real. And, and 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 when humanism is preached, when when, listen, when people take just the clear, clear teaching of the scriptures and twist it around, right? And now, you know, they're 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 marrying people that shouldn't be married, they're ordaining people that shouldn't be ordained, it's a huge problem. Maybe. It's one of these doctrine of demons that Paul is talking about. All right, they don't judge everything by how, what, what it looks like, it doesn't operate that way. But that's what happens. They hold to a form of godliness. Although they deny its power, it says, that Avoid such men as these. This is what happens. This is, right, this, this power that we're talking about is what? It's called a religious spirit, it's a spirit, a sign to the church in the area of religion. What is is the goal of religious spirit? It's simple. The overriding goal of the religious spirit is to replace the Holy Spirit in our experience of God. The overriding goal of the religious spirit is to replace the Holy Spirit in our experience of God. The Holy Spirit is our source of discernment and our source of power. Right, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. He's the source of our power. The religious spirit desires to replace that in our lives. The religious spirit keeps us from hearing the voice of God. It's the clear, clear voice of the Lord. Hebrews twelve twenty five says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. There's a, there's a form of godliness, a right, form of religion without real power. The overriding goal of a religious spirit is to replace the Holy Spirit in our experience of God. Now, this shouldn't be radical for us to think about this, because this is exactly what the devil wants to do. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, when uh, Jesus is being tempted, and the devil, he he, you know... Tried a couple of times, and he finally gets to his last time. He takes him up to uh, the pinnacle. He shows him all the world around him. And he says, I'll give you all of these things, the, the nations, everything in this world. Just do one thing, bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only God is to be worshipped. What does Satan want? He wants to replace God. He wants whatever God has, he wants to do the same thing. In the same way, the religious spirit tries to replace the Holy Spirit in our experience of God. That's what he wants to do. Okay? So now that we set that straight, we get to the the, the real meat of the sermon here. Well, P. Sam, how can I make sure that I'm not influenced by one of those? So I have six points here, okay? We'll go through this quick. Here are six signs of religious spirit in our life. If, if these, these are some things, and if you f- see some of these things operating in your life, you might, there might be an influence of a religious spirit happening around you. Okay, ready? Ready? All right, number one, an inability or unwillingness to receive correction. An inability or an unwillingness... To receive correction. In other words, we become unteachable, we become defensive, and here's one for this current generation we become so easily offended. You become unteachable, you become too defensive, and you become easily offended. There's an inability, just a simpler or or sometimes an unwillingness to receive correction. Or to receive a rebuke. Now, here's the key. Here's the key. Not necessarily when there's someone above you. In other words, like your pastor is bringing correction. Uh, I mean, if you have a problem with your pastor correcting you, that's a whole other thing, Okay. Um, but, but, you know, it's, or, or like, uh, your house church leader, you know, or like your boss, I mean, okay, not boss, cause this, this is, we're talking about primarily in a spiritual, so church and, and this kind of thing, okay? And so, I, I shouldn't say boss, cause this is, this is not work related, because this is a, a, a demonic power assigned to the church in the air of religion, okay? And so, but, but so, we're not talking about that, how you can really tell is not when someone above you brings correction to you when someone from below you brings correction how do you respond to that right maybe you're the sp kids teacher you're the head teacher and there's a brand newbie that just came in and she tells you what's up right how do you respond and and this is the key it's not just how you respond at that time ask yourself how did i respond the last five times how did I respond the last five times that someone tried to bring correction to me? And if you, if you think about this and you realize, man, I was really defensive, you know, I, I was unwilling to listen and so on and so forth, man, it's something. I can't, you know, listen, as a parent, I'll tell you something. As a parent, there's, there's nothing more humble or humiliating, either way you look at it, when your child rebukes you, it's like, oh, it's, I mean, it's something, right? I mean, you know, your spouse does it. It's normal, right? Probably, probably happens every day um, uh, sometimes. But when your child points something out, and the worst is when it's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? When it's true, like, oh, that happened to me a few weeks ago. I was like, oh, I was... I was I was about to say something, I was going to de- defend myself, and I just realized, no, it's true, <laughs> right? So I just better shut up and just listen and do the right thing and say sorry. But, but if, if, there's an, if there's an inability or an unwillingness to receive correction, maybe there's a religious spirit at work in some way. Uh, again, talking about it in a church context, okay? In a church context, when we become unteachable, defensive, and easily offended. That's one sign. Let me give you another sign. Number two, when when our prayer life becomes mechanical. When our prayer life becomes mechanical. How does that happen? When we come and we bring just this huge shopping list to God. It, when, it, when it's it 's no, it's not about intimacy it 's not about relationship it 's just purely a utilitarian relationship with god god i 'm going to pray to you because you can do this for me, so Lord, I, I need this and this and this and this, please you know you maybe throw a verse here and there, but Lord, I basically want this and this and, and you know, and you bring the shopping list to God and you call that intercessory prayer it 's probably a clear sign that, there, that there's there 's probably uh, a religious spirit at work in some way. Or, or, or how about this one? When you get close to the end of your prayer time and you feel relieved and you feel like, oh, it's finally over. I can go on to the rest of my day. I can do what's really important <laughs> during that time. When, when, you, when, you, when you feel that, man, there's a clear sign that there may be a religious spirit at work. Because I tell you, listen, when you're in love, you know, you don't, you don't, listen, the only time that you feel relieved when you're finishing a conversation with someone is when you don't like that person. Right? Like that person just bugs you and he's just complaining all the time. And you're like, thank God this conversation's over. When we feel relief when we're talking to God, it could be, could be a sign that there's, there's something there. It could be a sign. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know about you. When I, when, I first, uh, um, when Lisa and I first started dating, uh, we, we kind of got off on the wrong foot. Uh, not, not that there's anything wrong in our relationship, but I was traveling. I was actually traveling around the country. I was, I was working for this ministry called The Call. And so I, w- I was in a different city almost every single day. And so I was just traveling all over the place. So we, we had a long-distance relationship in the beginning. And so we would call on the phone all the time. And so we, we, would, we would talk on the phone for hours, and, and we did, like, kind of that high school thing where, uh, like, we didn't want to hang up, you know, in the call. And so we said, oh, it's getting late. We've got to wake up early. And we say, okay, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. You know, and then we talked for another 10 minutes. And then, you know, just, oh, it's getting late. Okay, say goodbye. No, you say goodbye. know, you, you say goodbye. And it just, it just went on like that. And so why? Because we're in love. I didn't feel relieved. As soon as I home with the phone, I couldn't wait to talk to her again. Though you could tell when your, mecha- when your prayer life becomes mechanical. When you feel relieved uh, that you're getting to the end of your prayers. It's probably a clear sign that there may be a religious spirit at work. Remember, a religious spirit trying to replace the Holy Spirit in our experience of God. Number three. Another sign of religious spirit, when we feel closer to God than most other Christians. When we feel closer to God than most other Christians. When you feel like you're on the forefront of what God is doing. When you feel you're more superior to other Christians. You feel like your church is superior to other churches. Or your denomination is superior to other denominations. When you come to this idea and you feel like, oh, we're the best, that's dangerous. I, 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 I don't know why this happens to me. I, I guess people haven't figured it out yet. Um, you know, I can't read Korean, but people give me Korean books all the time. And I, I just, I, I mean, people should know by now that I'm, I'm illiterate. And I, I say it all the time. But, but people And I remember one time I got this book. And, and someone gave me this book, and on the cover of the book, it's by a, a pretty, I don't know if he's a well-known pastor, but I, I guess he is. He wrote, wrote this book. And, and in the book, he's talking about his church, and the, the title of his book was The Church, and it was The Healthiest Church in the World. I was like, what? I couldn't believe that was on the cover of this book. I, I had d- translated translate it, right? I mean, this is insane. He, he literally wrote, this is, like, we are, this is the healthiest church is the church. In the world. And, and, you know, and I just, you know, when, listen, when you, like, on like church matters or spiritual, when you say stuff like that, you know what you're really doing? You are now replacing God. You are claiming omniscience. In other words, you are saying, I know every church in the world. I know every church in the world, and I have methodically studied, and I looked at all the habits of this church, and by that I can claim that we are the healthiest church in the world. Only God does that. No one can claim that. By the way, Koreans, don't, don't go on the internet and try to find this book, okay? I know many of you guys are tempted. But let's, just, let's just show grace, you know? But it's crazy. You know, usually like the books, I usually give them to my dad or something. I just chucked it. I just, I just felt like, how can you write a book like this? This is ridiculous. Clear sign that there may be a religious spirit that's at work in this place. When we feel that you're closer to God than most other Christians. Number four, when you feel that your theology is superior to other churches or other people. Oh, man, I'm so glad that I'm spirit-filled, right? And I have this, this different, you know, hermeneutic in the way that I look at. It. So, well, listen, it's just, it's just hubris, when you feel like your interpretation of theology is superior to that, brothers and sisters, I'll just I'll just tell you the truth. We need to know that. I mean, you need to you need to to know what you believe. Okay, don't misunderstand me. But when it comes to theology, we need to be wise enough to approach Scripture with humility. I mean, really, just to be really, really humble and be open to other people's opinions, especially on peripheral matters, like, like on essential matters, of course, right? I, I mean, it goes without saying, but most of what, what people feel superior over are really more peripheral matters that takes place. And, and you'd be surprised, you know, people, churches split because of this. When I was in seminary, my professor told this story. This is, this is a true story. There is there is there is a, a church, right? I don't know, First Baptist Church or whatever. And they got into this huge argument, and so there's a uh, so these guys split off and they moved to they moved literally across the street, and they started another church. You know what that church was called? It was called Left Foot Baptist Church. You know what the you know what the uh, debate was about? Because they they started this whole thing of practicing washing each other's feet. And there was a huge argument arose about which foot that you start with. And some people felt like you start with the right foot. And other people said, no, 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 you start with the left foot. And they got into such a huge argument about a silly peripheral matter that these guys left the church and they started left foot Baptist church. That's insane. Now, we look at it as, That's crazy. It's not. It's a religious spirit. I mean, it, it's, it makes you do some, some really seriously crazy things. But the moment that you feel your theology is superior to other people or other churches, you you got, you got to be aware. I love Augustine. I think Augustine was so wise. This is what he said. He says, in essential matters, unity. In non-essential matters, peace. Just get along, right? It's not the end of the world. In all matters, love. Augustine was so smart. In essential matters, unity. Yeah, the gospel, you know, the the resurrection of Jesus, all these things. We need to be united in this. In non-essential matters, left foot, right foot. I mean, come on, does it really matter? Right, just peace. But in all matters, love. But when you start feeling that your theology is superior, Pretty clear sign there may be a religious spirit at work. Number five, graceless criticalness and judgmentalism. Graceless criticalness. You always see what's wrong with other people. I'm okay. You're not okay. You're not okay. There's always a lot of pointing fingers that happen there. We fail to realize what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge. So that you will not be judged. Now, let let me just try to explain this in context. You need to judge, okay? So the Bible's not saying don't ever judge. What the scripture is talking about is, is really more the issue of hypocrisy. Remember, as he continues on in this passage, he talks about, right, take the speck out of your own eye before you take the log out of your brother's eye. There will be maybe times to judge and take that log out of it, but t- take care of yourself first. In other words, don't judge others on their actions and yourself on your own intentions. right? Don't judge others with one standard and judge yourself on a lower standard. That's, that's basically hypocrisy. And he says that, that do not judge so you will not be judged. This idea of this graceless critical, you're so critical, you're so judgmental about others. There's no graciousness whatsoever. That's being handed over. Think about I mean, just think about this. The currency of the kingdom of God is grace and forgiveness. Right? The currency of the kingdom of God is grace and forgiveness. Right? It's not criticalness and judgmentalism. And when you see that this graceless criticalness is a, is a clear sign that there may be a religious spirit at work and the last one number six you could tell when a religious spirit is operating when you want to get notice for your spirituality in the church you want to get notice for your spirituality in the church i remember this happened to me once years ago this is my first year when i was a youth pastor and uh, sometimes in the afternoons i would go into the sanctuary of our church and, and I would just pray. I, I had a, a, a list of my students, and I would, just, I would just try to go in there at least once a week and just pray for my kids and just one by one and just lift them up to the Lord. And I remember I, I, was, I was there one time, and, you know, I, I always like to pray when it's all empty. I was there, and I, I, just, I just remember I heard um, th- there were classrooms on the other side of the sanctuary wall, but, but it was very thin walls, and so I can remember I could hear uh, some ladies come into the church, uh, into that room, and they were having a Bible study. And I don't know why I did this, but I instinctively just started praying louder. When I was, I was just praying normal. I said, oh, Lord, bless Stephen. You know, he's having a hard time at school. And, da, da, da. and all of a sudden when I heard people in the other room, I said, Lord, bless Stephen. You know, and I just started like, you know, like praying more Korean style and stuff. And I was like, what's going on? And and I and I just realized, man, I th- I think I want to be noticed for my spirituality, and and it kind of led me into this season. And I, and I would like to say that it just happened once. It actually, happened many times, and enough times for me to finally say, okay, what's going on with me? You know, what's what's broken in my life that I want to be noticed for these things? And i and, and and it it, it happens. It, it happens so much. I mean you know someone's at at church and they're looking really tired and say hey you 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 okay you look run down says oh i was helping out at sp kids you know and those kids were running crazy and you know making me ragged and stuff and so but i was there i was helping out i was like what it's like you want to be noticed for your service i thought i thought serving the lord was rewarding itself You know, we want to be the one, you know, someone gets healed. I mean, praise God. Someone gets healed, but we want everyone to know that it was me. I'm the one who prayed for that person, right? It was this hand that laid hands on that person, and they got healed. The moment you want to be noticed for your spirituality in the church, it's probably a clear sign, probably a clear sign that there's, there's something going on there, that there's probably a religious spirit at work that wants to rob you of, of the gift that happens there. Look at in Matthew 23, verse 5. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. These were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. They do all these things to be noticed by men. I mean, just, just, just think for a moment. How crazy is it that we want to be noticed for our spiritual gifts you know what I mean? Well, I'm the one who prophesied, you know, that word. It's, it's insane. The spiritual gifts were a gift given to us. What do we do to earn these nothing? And yet we take so much pride, and we want to get noticed for our spirituality in this way. Brothers and sisters, what do we have that, has not, that was not given to us? It is ridiculous for us to want credit. Or want accolades for our serving, for the gifts that God has given to us? I mean, it is crazy. Actually, it's not crazy. You know what it is? It's the work of a religious spirit. And we revel in our spirituality in that way. What do you have that has not been given to us by God? When we see these signs, I mean, there, there's so much more, but I, I just stuck to these here. Right when we see these signs, we need to be aware that we may have come under an influence of a religious spirit. All right, now that I got your attention, Peace Sam, what do we do? What can we do? How do we get out of this? I mean, the antidote is actually really simple. You know what we need to do? We need to cry for God for His mercy. There, there's there's no other shortcuts to it realize we didn't earn this right we don't deserve any of this right we just say lord have mercy on me when 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 someone says a prayer like that they are divesting themselves of all that is self and they're leaning upon a god who is merciful that 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 we we shouldn't expect to receive anything but because of his grace we receive everything This is what he says. I love this, Matthew 20, 31. It's the two, the blind men. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. If you've been listening in to the EMPs during the fast, this is is the perfect prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. It's, 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 It's all about God's graciousness. It's about God's loving kindness. It's about what God has done. Nothing. I don't deserve it, God. I am totally at your mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. We need to pray for a deep, deep revelation of our sinfulness. See, the reality is all these things that I talked about, it's, it's, our, it's us because we're so puffed up. We look down on other people. Right? We we think we're superior. And so it's this, you say, Lord, just show me my sinfulness. It's a revelation of our sinfulness and His graciousness to cover our sins. Let me close and invite the worship team to come. Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 1. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness." According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Obviously, David is talking about Bathsheba and the sin that he's made. But it's just, Lord, have mercy on me. Be gracious to me, O God, It's the same word. According to your loving kind, according to your character, Lord, show me. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Lord, have mercy on me. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray that today. Lord, have mercy on me. I don't deserve it. I cannot earn it. It's totally by your grace. I can't take any credit for this, God. So, Lord, forgive me for feeling superior. Forgive me for puffing myself up, for wanting to be noticed by men. Lord, have mercy on me. Show me my sin. Lord, have mercy on me. team is going to lead us in a song can I encourage you to go before the Lord You say Lord show me show me my sinfulness and on top of that show me your grace that covers me Lord have mercy on me that today is the Lord's Supper. And, you know, it's very difficult to feel haughty when you're kneeling at the foot of the cross. And we're looking up at our Lord who saved us, who suffered for us. It's very difficult to feel superior when you're in that place at His feet. And so if you need a, some of the elements, you can ask one of our ushers, that are going come down. They'll just raise your hand and they'll pass it to you. But let me read from the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 12. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner should be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat it. Uh, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number asleep. So the Lord tells us to come to his table regularly and to come reverently, to humble ourselves at his feet, to think about the cross, not what we've done, but what Christ has done for us. So we're just going to, the team's going to lead us. I want to encourage you to go before the Lord and examine yourself before him, uh, and then we'll take together as a body. God at the foot of the cross Lord we look to you that's endured so much for us God forgive us for our haughtiness Lord forgive us for feeling superior to other people Lord God we recognize there's an enemy of our souls that wants us to Lord just uh, uh, absorb ourselves in our own self forgive us God Lord, we humble ourselves and say thank you for the cross Lord Thank you for your loss. Lord, the only thing we can say is, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. We thank you, Lord. Let's take together. This is Christ's body broken for you, and this is the blood new covenant poured out for you. Let's rise to our feet and let's sing this together. prayer, God. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you so desperately. Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. Lord, our faith, God, is not about what we have done or what we are doing. Our faith is about what you have already done for us. So, Lord, we cling to the cross. Lord, help us. We know there's an enemy of our soul that has strategies and schemes Lord, that, that want to send us and in, in intimidate us, God, with a religious spirit that wants to take us away from our experience of you. Lord, we're at your mercy, God. Help us, Lord. Help this church, God. We thank you, Lord. We love you, God. We bless you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, cause His face to shine upon you. And to to fill you up, God. Lord, would you come, Lord God, and do a deep work in our lives. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. If you need any prayer at all, you can come up to the front. Our well ministers would gladly pray for you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.